your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. As we do every Monday night after a game, it is the PFF show. Uh, so luckily, uh, it, it stunk last week. I'm starting to enjoy hanging out with John Costco. But it is the uh, PFF night here on Locked On Browns Pro Football Focus, obviously, with your Cleveland Browns coverage, John Costco and a bunch of other guys doing some really, really hard work. Brought to you tonight, to, tonight by MyBookie.com. Obviously, guys, you play, you win, you get paid. You all know it at this point. Uh, John Costco, we're going to get through the grades here, but before we get to that, we'll get more into the game. First off, John, how's it really going? It's been two weeks, man. It was a little long. I missed you, guy. Yeah, uh, you know, Thanksgiving uh, weekend with the bye week and, and everything, uh, it was good for, you know, kind of a relaxing um, Thanksgiving for me. I did work the Thursday night game then, but uh, how was everything with you? Uh, I did I did miss our, our weekly session last week. Well, we, it was good. I mean, it was, you know, the bye week was fun. Uh, you know, it, was, it allowed me to, look, I, I, you know, the get away from the schedule and just kind of get loose. We were able to get some draft talk in here. Uh, you know, some guests who do their monthly spots, we had fun with that. And then we got back into the realm of things here, you know, later on in the week, which started with the crossover on Wednesday, and there was the rumors on Wednesday that maybe A.J. Green was coming back, which seemed weird because everything kind of seemed like it was a December thing that A.J. Green, if they were relative and competing, maybe he'd come back then. Then as the week went on and Demarius Randall kind of uh, you know, wrote the script Thursday, about if A.J. Green wasn't playing, and then obviously all downhill. But so, you know, it was fun, little break. And But look, to go from over, and like I said, I said, I tweeted out today, the Cleveland Browns have not lost a football game in 22 days. And some people came back, well, so that's really good, and it's not April. But the last 22, game, last 22 days, the Cleveland Browns have not lost a football game. John, your thoughts from yesterday. I mean, you want to talk about a boxer coming out of the corner with their A game to start a game, that is pretty much what we saw from everything from this Browns team yesterday. Yeah, um, and they had everything in their arsenal. You know, they they had punches, they had counter punches, um, and just threw everything at the you know they had in their, on their playbook uh, at the Bengals, and they didn't have an answer for it. And then when you combine it with just Baker throwing big time throws, just you know picking apart the defense, finding his check down options. You know, just do efficient as you could imagine him to be. That you want, how you drafted him, that's what he did. And and then you, you talk about, I think early in the season, one of the things that people were knocking him for was his the throws outside the pocket. I think the past two weeks that whatever the was going on, he's fully corrected that because he his scramble plays in this past game were fantastic. Obviously, he had that touchdown to Richard Higgins last week that was on a scramble drill. Just he's he's seeing the field extremely well, um, playing it with a, you know extreme confidence, and it's just it it's it's so fun to watch right now him play the game, and uh, obviously Browns fans should really revel in, in what what he's doing right now because he is the answer, and this is this the savior for the Cleveland Browns football franchise and this fan base and um, and everything else. I mean, you you notice it everything else around that team just looks so much better. It doesn't look like the same team because Baker Mayfield is playing at an elite level. Well, one thing you mentioned on the outside throws, we brought up the, um, you know, where he stepped up in the pocket, a little bit of rollout to the right, stepping up in the pocket, hitting Callaway on the sideline. 
you know, the toe tap from Callaway. And again, it seems like we bring him up, and we're going to get him in a little bit when we get to the grades. But Antonio Callaway, with a great job there, it seems some of these throws to the sidelines, and, you know, I, I don't want to say it, but, John, it seems sometimes these throws on the sidelines that aren't always getting done, there's a common denominator, and that common denominator is wearing number 80. And maybe there's some guys who are a little bit quicker in and out of their routes and get it done a little faster. But you were able to see Callaway do that and then do it on the scramble drill again for the touchdown that he scored yesterday. We're starting to see that, you know, Baker, the quicker you are, and maybe even it's not so much faster, but the quicker you are and the quicker your feet are, and this is sometimes where Jarvis Landry lags, but Callaway is finding a nice rapport here, like we talked about Higgins for the first six or seven weeks. But now Antonio Callaway slowly and slowly more and more, a little bit more, you know, you know I don't know if he's ready for the uh, grown-up table at Thanksgiving yet, but he's getting close. Yeah, um, they had the, had, you had the one, uh, I guess there was a squirrel route by uh, Jarvis Landry on the sideline that they missed on, and Landry was really slow coming out of his break, uh, pretty pretty poor at that, and but Baker put it in, in the in a spot that should have been like a caught ball and it's yours or nobody's exactly. And I don't know. I don't know what the, what, you know, what happened to him on that play. There was another play, uh, on another scramble drill in the third quarter that, um, he was a little bit slow coming out of his break as well. Um, and, um, What's I'm, up, hey, little man? I, yeah. Hey, Hey Bob, how's it going? Hey, aren't you supposed to be in bed right now? John? Yeah, and, and it's just a little bit of slow coming out of his break, um, and then you know they misconnected on that one too. So I don't know what's going on with them there. Maybe they got to get a little bit better rapport. I know that they did early in the season, but yeah, Callaway. Obviously, in the early in the season, they really put a lot on this plate. They took it off, and then when Kitchens has been in there, um, they've they've slowly worked him back in and. Uh, he's he's playing at a, at a really good level. He obviously graded out extremely well at an 83.4 grade and as a receiver. Um, and then, you know, he's just spreading the wealth. Rashard Higgins, uh, Njoku, Nick Chubb, Duke Johnson, you know, these guys are just, you know, being – he's getting them the ball and with efficiency. You know, look at the the number of first downs that you're getting. You know, Callaway had the touchdown and three first downs on four of his catches. He had a three uh, – Jarvis Landry, all three of his catches he did catch – all for first downs and Joku three of his catches were for first downs then he had the touchdown so like it's just efficient whenever these guys are catching the ball he's putting it in the the perfect location and getting them to have yards after the catch so it's everything is working extremely well Callaway's playing at a much more confident level and even in Joku had a at a an excellent game he had he made our team of the week this week uh, this week uh, with a 92 point for uh, receiving grade, so it's just it's good to see, you know, the, the wealth being spread, and that's you know you look at you look at the best teams they don't they don't just force feed it to one guy they are able to spread it around and if one guy casts a step up they do and, and every week it's a different guy and this week it was Njoku so it's it's good to see and that guys as we mentioned if you listen to the pregame show what we said and like you guys your thoughts with oh maybe Odell Beckham's available guys he's not. But the problem is, is when you have a guy like Odell or Julio Jones or, or players of receivers of that ilk, you are literally almost tied into 10 to 15 targets a game. And this is not what Baker Mayfield does. Baker Mayfield, guys, as much as we said it, he's the painter with the palette, and he's going to use every color. And I will say it again, the most important 
receiver to Baker Mayfield is the one who is currently open. He has no bias. He's not going to feed a guy just because of the sake of feeding him. If you're the open guy, whether it's the second, third, fourth read, or the first read, you're the one that's going to get the ball, and that's the way it goes with him. And he's just, that's what you want. If you want to add a big, big piece to wide receiver position somewhere down the road, and it doesn't cost you at other positionals, uh, other positions or other you know monetary where it's going to hurt you in the cap, that's fine. But that is not what this team needs in the best interest of this team going forward. Baker Mayfield will use everyone, and we've. If you haven't seen that yet, open your eyes a little bit more, John. We're going to yeah. dig here in a little. Go ahead, John. You got something to say? No, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I, you're you're absolutely right. Is you you look at the New England Patriots? Have they ever the one year that they had a superstar wide receiver was Randy Moss? Obviously, th- that put him over the top and almost got him to the the perfect season, and they came you know fell short in the Super Bowl. Uh, but for the most part, you know Tom Brady hasn't had that superstar wide receiver. Peyton Manning didn't have that superstar wide receiver. He made those receivers so much better. So exactly. You don't want to break the bank for these guys. It's nice. That's like a luxury thing to have. But look at the Rams this year. They have they have three guys that they pass the ball to that are just they complement. They're good at route running. They're smart and they they can, they know how to get open. So spread the wealth. Don't have to force feed it to a, a single guy. It doesn't make you one dimensional when they have to and they shut that that one guy down by double teaming him, triple teaming him, whatever it is, rolling coverages, bracketing him. You don't have to do that. So, exactly. If it, if you that guy kind of happens to fall into your laps for whatever reason, it's bonus. But I, you don't need to go out there and and get him. And that's part of it. And this is where we are with the way you know with the more of the college influence coming to the NFL and where you get a fifty three fifty one Monday Night Football game. It's it's a numbers thing, and it's playing the field and playing the levels of the field and the sides of the field. And I've got three versus two over here. Somebody's going to be open, and that's the way the game is played now. It's not so much a you know, it used to be about you know the Willies and the Joes. Now it's more coming back to the X's and the O's, but it's more at a higher scoring pace where you're just taking advantage of you know what you have to you and just you know flooding a zone, flooding you know running concepts where you have more than they do. It's just that simple. Guys, uh, like I mentioned, we are sponsors tonight. Uh, yeah, we are brought to you tonight by MyBookie.com. You ask for betting advice. One thing I'll always tell you is who you're betting with is a lot more important than who you're betting on. MyBookie.com. Best thing about them, guys, is they've been in the year. They've been in business for years. They have great online reviews, and they have their mobile site simple, clean, easy to use. Guys, there's over 37 NFL shows on the uh, Locked On NFL Network. MyBookie.com sponsors over 37 shows. So that shows you what kind of commitment they put out. So that shows you what kind of commitment they're getting brought into them as a company. Um, If you're going to bet, I do bet on Thanksgiving. I went two out of three. So it it made a little, but it's one of my most enjoyable days of the year to bet is Thanksgiving sleep. Um, With MyBookie.com, they have uh, uh, in-game betting, live betting, um, over-under on fantasy player points, which is one of my favorites, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. MyBookie.com, the promo code, guys, if you register after 7 p.m. Eastern, because they are currently slammed with new members, if you register after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they will give you a free $25. If uh, It goes along with the same old MyBookie.com. When you... Create your account. They will match it 100%. So, guys, simple math, $100. They give you 100 Do it after 7 p.m. Eastern, $225 in your account. 
if you guys know what you're doing, that will cover you through the rest of the regular season. Uh, promo code with this now with the but after 7 p.m. Eastern. Locked on 25. Capital L, capital O, 25. Um, visit mybookie.com today. M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.com. Mybookie.com. You play, you win, you get paid. Now, John, we do want to dip here into the player grades. And we're going to start first with David Najoku. Um, by far... You know, probably his best day as a pro. I don't think there's any way to de- deny it otherwise. Um, I do. What I like most, though, is you know, the blocking grades were pretty good. Freddie Kitchens using him in a blocking role that he can handle. Shorter, quicker blocks, blocks move a guy into space as opposed to just asking him to drive people. He's a little bit tall for that. You know, He's not really built for that with the long arms and the, the genetic freak that he is. But using more to that and even some almost, oh, kind of Olay blocks that are turning into receptions for him, just a fantastic day. I don't know if you guys grade, you know, dives or hurdles from the five-yard line. He came (laughs) up a little short on that one, but apparently it's not in the grading system because it was still, like you said, a phenomenal effort. North of 92, by far his best day as a pro on the field grading-wise. And it's just great to see just yet another young guy making a positive step. Yeah, exactly. And and this is a guy that I liked coming out of college. I didn't think, you know, you look at what rookie tight ends do in, in the NFL, and, and essentially there's like zero tight ends that come out and are, are you know, these, these put up these outrageous numbers you have, except for Gronk and Mike Ditka. That was it. <laughs> was it Ditka? Was it, did he play tight end? There was some, I think it was somebody. Ditka that, played tight end 100%. Yeah. Yeah, so it was him. Those two guys are like the only ones in like NFL history that have like come out as rookies and just dominated. Well, I think I thought Njoku could get there, but obviously wasn't going to be this rookie year. Um, it's been kind of a disappointment this year. Uh, had ups and downs with the drops, but then finally put it all together in this game. Um, you're getting him in on on those RPOs. You saw you saw one of those in this game. Uh, getting it to him in space, you know, on the seam routes, that's exactly where you want to throw him the ball. Uh, this had that excellent diving catch, you know, down the middle. Um, and then, yeah, exactly with his run blocking, he was somebody that had improved last year. Um, hadn't really shown that again this year in, until this game where you, you don't want him, there's no sense in trying to get him to, to go up against these these defensive ends and these defensive tackles that are just going to overpower him because because of how, you know, what his athleticism is. You get him on the smaller guys, get him out in space, uh, and he can be effective because he's a, he's a guy that, you know, he, he plays with effort and obviously has athleticism to move in space. So, yeah, I mean, this is a guy that just keep doing what you did with him in this game, how do you utilize him, and you're, you're going to thrive because he was excellent and obviously helped you win and then, uh, you know, highlighted by the... Uh, the dive from the five, so. <laughs> it was like a hurdle or whatever, but, you know, whatever. It turned into it, and it was great to see. I mean, may, yeah, obviously the linemen were in on the end zone dance. Maybe that's why you saw the extreme effort that they made sure that David Nachoku got in that end zone. But but even if you just look at things just minuscule from football standpoint, obviously they didn't plan the celebration in three seconds, so these guys knew it. And, like, everybody was just in, and that was it. Oh, well, he's there. Let's get him in. And you just see a whole bunch of guys that are kind of there for each other. Greg Robinson, um, pass pro grade is 75.8. Uh, 
fantastic for Greg Robinson. The run grades are still you know not where we expect from what we know of Greg Robinson, but to see the passing grades where they're at, John, I mean, they may not be in a position to draft a left tackle, and sometimes they don't always fall into your lap. And, but Greg Robinson, he, he's certainly not putting himself in a position where you're just saying, all right, you can walk at the end of the year. No, exactly. I think uh, you know, he's the guy that— It seems weird to say this about Greg Robinson. Yeah, it does. And, and I think we, you know, we had talked about it when he, after his first start um, you know, a couple weeks ago against Kansas City where he's looked, he looked really good. He still gave up a sack. He had some mental errors or whatever. But in terms of what his pass set looked like and just his technique, he didn't, ever, he didn't look like he was um, trying to just use his physical gifts or whatever to overpower people. He was actually pass setting. He was playing with good technique and— I think that's what you you want to see that progression from him. That obviously he, he had a clean slate in this game, didn't give, give up a single sack or or pressure at all in this game. A uh, little bit a little bit shaky in a run game, and he has been all year. So um, you know, hopefully, it, it, you know, more time that'll come, you know, become become better for him. But well, that, the thing is though, that's coming back to him. The pass yeah. pro, this is kind of first time ish. So, yeah. you know, I mean, you feel more better about, oh, well, he's not run blocking as well. You feel better about that because you've seen that. We've all seen that. That's how he got drafted as high as he did. Yeah, and, and run blocking really doesn't matter all that much. So, I mean, it matters, but I'm talking, you know, when it comes to the left tackle, you want him to be able to protect that blind side, and he's doing First that. First and foremost, and, yes. And, and and he's been fantastic as a pass, you know, you know pass protection um, he's not at an elite level by any means yet, but he's serviceable, and that's what you want there. Um, so he's somebody that I think you should hang on to. If somebody falls into your laps that that you know, say it's an elite left tackle prospect in the or draft, one those, or one of those late cuts around June, you're not going to ignore it, of course. Yeah, I, I mean, I, he's not somebody that I think at this point you you put all your chips on, but. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a guy that you you're happy with how he's progressed. He's a lot better than Desmond Harrison has been this year. So, um, you know, hopefully Desmond Harrison's a guy that can develop too. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of he, you don't have to reach for this position. I don't think right now. I think it's it's a position now that is kind of stabilized itself because of him, which is you know again strange to say, but. Um, you know, hopefully in the next you know five games he can continue to show that he's solid in pass protection. And you know, as the teams get more tape on him now that he's and obviously teams have had tape on him. He's been in the league for five years, but um, he's playing at a much better level right now. So perhaps you know he's going to have a good test this week with Houston with you know obviously Clowney and Watt um, merciless. Yeah, it's just that's going to be I think a big big test and that's going to be kind of a barometer of where he's where he's at because um up until now he hasn't really faced an you know quite the elite slate of of edge rushers yet. So we'll see, you know. I I think Cincinnati has has a good defensive line, they really do and he didn't give up anything, so that is promising there, but I think Houston's at a different level when it comes to their talent at that edge edge spot. So um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's still wait and see, but I think you're you're happy with what you've seen so far. Yeah, and that's the thing because now you, when you're getting with Clowney and with you're getting with Watt, you're talking about guys who are, you know, 
similar in height and length, you know, obviously a little bit less in weight and more athletic. I mean, this is going, it's going to be a big, big litmus test come Sunday. And if, as we're recording this, uh, the Texans are already up 24-10 at half over the Titans. So this is a big one. Uh, One more offensively that I want to get to, uh, Nick Chubb. And look, the reason I want to get to it is, John, the pass pro grades, the pass receiving grades, and this this guy is just continuously week in, week out. And the reputation is hard worker, will do everything that's asked, and you're just seeing it more and more from Nick Chubb. Obviously not the greatest day rushing, touchdown that way. Um, the touchdown reception, John, you played, I played. It, it is such an impossible catch to make. I mean, you, you wouldn't fault Jerry Rice for not holding it in. But for a guy who had a reputation for not ever catching a lot of balls to make a catch like that, holy God, John. Yeah, I mean, it's just insane. Like, just ridiculous, insane catch that is. Um, obviously, a, not a good ball by Baker, and he gets bailed out by a teammate, um, you know, one of the few bad throws. And it's just uh, ridiculous, ridiculous catch. And, you know, you look at what the rest, what he did the rest of the game. Uh, the the Bengals really did want to shut down the run game, and as you can see, they shut down the run game, but it didn't matter because the passing game was there. Um, I, I think I think the game plan that uh, Hugh Jackson put together for the Bengals to stop hitting Nick Chubb was probably not the best because you don't win in the NFL with your running game; you win it with your passing game. Um, he was shut down all game and with his with his running use. His grade wasn't there. Offensive line did did struggle in, in run blocking pretty much uh, across the board, except for you know Kevin Zeitler. Uh, you know that was pretty much it. Ninjoku had a good game run blocking, but you know that's on the edge. Petonia was okay, but then the rest of the guys they just, they just didn't hold up very well. And then you also look at Orson Charles wasn't great in run blocking either. But you know Chubb he, he averaged three yards per carry, uh, had 84 yards. 79 of them were after contact. So um, I was, you know, was saying that like his numbers weren't sustainable to be able to continue to have like 5.3 yards per carry after contact, and you see why. This is a, this was a game that they stacked the box and did everything they could to stop the run, um, and then obviously kind of the game plan and the game script kind of dictated that, right? So you get up to a monstrous lead. Um, Browns just pretty much just started running it only and. At that point, you know that there's not much of a threat to pass it because they're just trying to burn clock. So, I think, you know, outside of one one fantastic play, um, I think that kind of showed why the, you know, running doesn't win in the NFL is that you can just you can stop it and pretty much make it ineffective, and you have to be able to pass the ball. Well, that also was part of it. I mean, this would be an interesting game. And, uh, you know, John, if you're looking for something to put out to people, would be first-half grades versus overall grades. Because I think defensively, offensively, if it was just based on the first 30 minutes, maybe you would have saw some better numbers. Um, it, it, a, lot, a lot of the criticism we saw was, oh, well, the second half, the play calling, this, that, and the other. Guys, when in the world were the last time the Cleveland Browns were up 28-7 at half? Yeah, okay, so they don't know how to deal when they're up by three touchdowns at halftime. Okay, we'll figure that one out. <laughs> That's a nice problem to have overall, guys, is, you know, yeah. when you just go out there and you just literally annihilate somebody in the first half, and then you're trying to, and keep in mind, it was 35-7. to 7. So, look, if, the, you know, and keep in mind, it's an offensive coordinator who's been on the job for three weeks, Greg Williams, head coach for three weeks. Guys, 
we'll figure that part out when we get to it, okay? Um, if we need to, you know, ask Belichick for some help. Hey, what do you do when you're up four scores early in the third quarter? We'll find that part out. Lockdown Browns here with John Costco. Obviously, it's PFF night. We're going to grades. John's, you know, John's thoughts on the game. Offensively, we're going to get to defense here in a little bit. But, uh, you know, my, my buddy Chris Manning over uh, covers Lockdown Cavaliers here for the network. Chris is doing a great job here. I'm happy for him. The, the product for the Cavaliers has been a little bit better the last few weeks. Makes for better shows, as me and Chris always talk about. Look, guys, we, we'll do it anyway. But, you know, we have some wins and some good and some fun things to talk about. It makes the shows a little easier to do, and it's always, obviously, you listeners always appreciate it a little more when you get to hear about a winning product. Chris Manning, Lockdown Cavaliers, doing a fantastic job. Make sure it's downloaded and into you. Uh, make sure you're subscribed, and it's in your rotation. Now, John, we're going to flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, and this is part of where I get to where I had said, you know, maybe first half versus overall. Um, well, first things first, and we just got to get to it because it's a stinking, insane number. Miles Garrett, yes, one tackle, one sack, one tackle for loss. John, 12 pressures. 12, John. 12. So, you know how many pressures he had in the first half? How many? One. Oof. So, so he was the one that after he was like, all right, it, it, it's a blowout. Ears back. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you look. It's exactly right. You, they, he was able to pin his ears back. He's like, all right, they have to pass the, the catch up now. I'm going after the quarterback and against those crappy offensive tackles that the, the Bengals have. And even they, when, they it, were, when it, way he came in, he may have had just as many uh, false starts in the fourth quarter than Ga- and Miles had you know, pressures because he was just like, all right, I'll just uh, – the best I can is just to start three yards back in the backfield. Just nuts. Yeah. You know, the second half had a sack. He had a hit that was nullified by a penalty at eight hurries. And yeah, Gennard uh, Avery went low there. He's got to be careful with that. Yeah, no kidding. It had a win win percentage in the second half of forty five point five percent. That that's how often he was beating the offensive tackle. Pretty much every other play, he was beating that offensive tackle in the second half. Just just nuts across the board. Um, he would have made the team of the week had he not missed two sacks. Because we, it, you know, you, you miss you miss a tackle, you're missing a sack or whatever. You do get downgrade. You get the pressure, but you don't get the the you know the the big positive for finishing or whatever so um just un- unbelievable he's got a you know obviously the one time he was getting dragged down by two defenders of, off of Dalton but um just just nuts just off the charts good uh had you know the 12 12 total pressures in the game were a uh the sec- second highest we've seen yet this year by any player Aaron Donald was uh, you know, had 13 in one game, so just just ridiculous. And I just want to get to this real quick, um, John. Um, with defensive line, now we've been harping on this and about the rotation and, and getting these guys some breaks. And obviously, look, being ahead in the games helps. But Miles Garrett, 17 plays of rest. Uh, Manuel Ogba, 15 plays of rest. Larry Ogunjobi, 21 plays of rest. So a thought on that or two, but now, and the highest-graded player on this defense, Anthony Zettel, and with Zettel now, you're getting yourself closer, whether you're putting, you know, Gerard Avery into the mix, you know, which is maybe where he ends up, but you're going 6-7 at the D-line position, and it's so much needed for the 
better part of the future, but also for the better part of week in, week out, you want these guys and Miles late in the game where, hey, let me just pin my ears back and go for every sack I can. He's able to do that because they're starting to give these guys enough blows where they're able to contribute 100% on every rep. Yeah, exactly. We, we'd been harping about that forever. And I think even the bye week, you know, really, really refreshed, you know, miles for sure. Because But you also go from game game in hand with the Falcons, bye week, and then you roll into another game in hand. Look, it's not always going to be this way, but it's no. got to be a nice three-week stretch for these defensive linemen. Yeah, exactly. And, and you, you know... You just look at the the best defenses in the NFL. They're able to rotate their defensive line and trust their their backups to to spell their their starters because they just they need that that rest because they're if you want to be able to go 100 percent every single play as a pass rusher and then use counter moves off of the moves that you're doing, it takes a lot of energy. So uh, it's great to see Zettel you know performing like he did. Uh, great as a you know, and he wasn't fantastic as a pass rusher. But he was great in run defense. He he made his tackles and miss any tackles. Uh, he was actually dropped into coverage once and was good there. So um, it's exactly what you want, you know. Chris Smith wasn't great in this game. He had 15 snaps. Trevin Coley, he's, he's a guy that I think you know needs to be more, you know, probably see fewer snaps. But he's a rotational guy, right? So. Uh, and then you for Jannard Avery, he, he he had to stop putting him in coverage. I get the reason for it, but that's not who he is. He's got to rush the passer, and you've got he's to He's Elmas Dumerville Jr. Yeah, just just let him go off and, and as a pass rusher because he's just not good in coverage. It's just not a strong suit um, at all. He gave up, you know, he was just, his pat, when targeted in this game, he gave up a perfect pass rating. It's just, that's just not his strong suit. So um, it's great to see the, the, the rest that these guys are getting and, and how they're staying fresh, but uh, unleash Jannard Avery as a pass rusher, please. Yeah, it's more of that. And the other thing is, if anything, you know, put him at a traditional D end and maybe have him drop back into a screen coverage or something of that nature. If you put him pure at linebacker, it's almost to the point he's a target now. And looking at the scores, you don't ever want to see red blocks with anything PFF. And Jannard Avery, every week when we kind of get to a coverage situation, we're getting those red blocks, and you don't want to see the red blocks. Um, Jabril Peppers, uh, week in, week out. Uh, a number one, I think Jabril Peppers is becoming a solid piece to this defense and to this team. I think he's you know something that can be. He's a guy who can be part of something better. But John, week in, week out, I don't think Jabril Peppers. Maybe because you know the box safety isn't as thought of highly as it should be. But week in, week out, Jabril Peppers keeps coming up with a solid effort. Yeah, you know he's he's doing his assignments and he's making his tackles and 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 he does he does miss some. He's missed eight on the year, um, but he's not getting destroyed in coverage and, and blowing coverages. Um, he's he's just usually has a, an all around solid game um, because he's of what he's being asked to do. I haven't really studied him closely to see exactly. Um, you know what, what you know where he is in every single play. Because, but the thing is, is that he's just he's grading fine. He's he's not being a liability like he was last year as a deep safety. He had the one bad game against the Chargers, um, where he he struggled in coverage. But outside of that, um, he's he's been a solid contributor for for a defense that just needs stability when it comes to those safety positions like Demarius Randall. <laughs> Demarius Randall. 
Um, first, Demarius Randall is worth his weight in gold. <laughs> and I keep saying, sign him now. And even the dancing on the sidelines. And it's actually funny that you brought up Demarius Randall. Because, John, I'm not sure what the defensive back handoff rating is. But uh, did anybody look at this to, you know, and, you know, handed the ball I, off to Hugh. I, How was it? I mean, you know, we talked about Baker on the 92-yard Nick Chubb run. I mean, it may have been the greatest handoff that ever happened. Baker even told us this. Does Demarius need some work, or did that go did that go all right, the handoff? He, he, he needs a little bit of work, but uh, it wasn't bad. <laughs> and I, I will say this, guys. Hugh Jackson, and look, you know, a lot of guys would have just batted the ball away. Hugh Jackson did take the ball. But don't take it Eric Dickerson style. You're not a Hall of Fame running back. I, get the get the inside arm up, Hugh. Come on, you're getting a handoff. Take it that way, you know. So, but look, a, a lot of good fun, and you know, you know, John and the the guys over at PFF, they, they can't comment on that stuff. Um, so we're not we're not going to approach it any further. But you know, just the way it all ended. But Cleveland Brown wise, it was a very very good day. Um, you killed the road stuff. You you got back onto a winning streak. It was just a phenomenal day. And with five games to go, and you know you got the Bengals again. You know you got the Ravens again. The Broncos, look, they beat Pittsburgh yesterday. Okay, that's fine. But overall, don't really scare the pants off of you. You got the Texans next week. That one is probably the toughest game left of this slate with that defensive line with Deshaun Watson. And... Browns fans always root for Deshaun Watson because his misfortune led you to Denzel Ward and Nick Chubb. And Carolina, who, as good as they were looking for a while, they've been stone cold over the last three weeks. So, John, just some thoughts here. You know, as we're moving on, Houston next week, I'm with the last five. Play 60 minutes. Look, there is playoff possibilities. It could happen. You can't rule it out yet. But play 60 minutes of solid football the way it's been going these last three games. And just get this product ready towards 2019. Yeah, just keep it rolling. Um, obviously, a tough test next week against Houston in Houston. Um, if you can win that, uh, then with a three-game winning streak, you can then you can. I, I'll tell you right now. Yeah, I mean, holy, crap, we're gonna literally be talking playoff possibilities. Yeah, I, I mean, I I never thought this would happen, but it's definitely possible. Yeah, that's when you can start talking playoff possibilities is if you beat the Texans. If you don't, then you're it's pretty much a done deal that you're not making it. But you win against the Texans, then talk you know, potential playoffs. It's still after that. You've got the Panthers, the Broncos, and the, and the Ravens, all good teams, all teams that are, that are tough, going to be tough wins anyway. So, you know, I mean, just looking forward, what you, you still just want to see progression from these young guys, especially Baker Mayfield, and just keep it rolling. Uh, Freddie Kitchens has this offense just clicking at all cylinders, and they'll take away that second half, which basically took the, the you know the pedal off the gas, um, and just wanted the burn clock. I think you know you can manage that a little bit better, but still, he's he's had this team at an elite level um, against you know teams that with defenses that aren't great. Um, so now you're going to be rolling into a, a game with a much better defense. Uh, so it'll be, a, it'll be a good barometer, uh, test for, for this team. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that they can do it. I mean, obviously you've seen, you know, what Baker can do, um, and how this defense plays too, when it, when it's playing lights out, um, that you can stop that offense by, uh, Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. So, uh, you know, I think, 
I think, you know, the future's obviously bright for this team. Well, and that's the thing, because the whole thing was brought up of class. If they wanted to label the Browns now in whatever this is under, you know, Greg and with Freddie running, then they, why didn't they drop 56 on them? They held up. They, they hit the emergency, put the emergency brake on. So, I mean, that's what, where all this stuff that's gone on over the last, you know, 10, 12 hours about class, this, that, and the other thing. The Browns didn't go out there and hang 50 on them. They probably could have if they kept status quo with what they've been doing for the first, you know, uh, you know, two, uh, two quarters plus the first drive after the fumble. They didn't do it. They kind of just slowed it down and just walked out of there with a W. So it's just been weird the way that was all going. And look, I understand this whole mentality from the Browns players. Their their mentality is is we don't want to be viewed as that anymore. We want to be viewed as this. And I get it. So you know whether it is you know. And we talk about, you know, changing the culture. You know, it's enough with changing the culture. Kill the old culture. Burn it. Bury it. Whatever you got to do. These guys don't want any part of that anymore. And that's the fun part about following this franchise and, and, and where we're headed. And like I said, guys, uh, you know, 2019, there's a chance here to walk into 2019, and I'll keep saying it, without your next head coach, without free agents that you have $100 million if you want. That's how much cap space you can have. Without draft choices. You can walk into 2019 right now without any of those three things and be the second best team in the AFC North. And that's, it's a fantastic job after what's gone on from 1 and 31 to where they are now. For John Costco, guys, read the work over at PFF. John does a fantastic job. I enjoy these Monday shows a lot because I, you know, John gives me things X's and O's wise and explains it so great as far as the PFF system and where we get to the player guys we're at. Follow the show at Locked On Browns. Follow me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. I appreciate everything, guys. iTunes rating reviews, they're always, always a big part of the show. Um, it's been a fantastic week. Um, Monday the 26th, the day after the Bengals win, was the most downloaded day in Locked On Browns history. I know I keep saying this a lot, but this is where we're going here, and it's all because of you guys, and I will keep working to give you guys the best product for all the loyalship and the listenership and the subscribers that you guys have been giving to me. So we'll continue with that. Until we talk to the next time, guys, LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.